Hello and welcome back. It's another episode of the War on 94 podcast. I am Frank. Evan is here as well. Evan, how are we feeling? I don't know. You know what? Same. I like that. <laughs> I like that because what the hell is going on in the world of Chicago and Milwaukee sports? It's not great. There's no. really nothing nothing fantastic that we're going to die. Well, that's a great seller for the podcast. There's nothing. <laughs> Turn it off now, folks. There's nothing. Turn it off. It's all bad. There's nothing enjoyable about what we're about to dive into. I mean, we got well, two losses in the football world. Teams shading money left and right in baseball. Um, I mean, the draft is coming up for NBA. I guess that's nice. We will be getting to that later, but uh, later meaning next week. But just not fun. I mean, not the way you want to roll into a Monday. No, not fun. We're both quarantining. The election is tomorrow. The world is in shambles. And let's talk some baseball. (laughs) Now let's talk some baseball. We'll start it off there. Uh, We'll start with the White Sox hiring an elderly man uh, to be their manager. Uh, You are look exasperated already, and uh, I want to hear your thoughts. Tony Larusa hired the first first Hall of Fame manager to be hired um, in the MLB since 1938, so uh, pre Pearl Harbor. Um, Connie Mack also managed the same team for 50 years, so totally different time. And Tony Russo also from a different time. So, Evan, tell me your thoughts on uh, the White Sox hiring the Crypt Keeper. I don't know what I mean. Props to the man for getting another job, I guess, but I I have no idea what anybody's seeing in him. He was chased out of town, what, eight, ten years ago at this point. Yeah, uh, 10 years Louis, ago. his last um, his last job was St. Louis, 2011. They did win the World Series. Did he retire on top. That. I think he did, 2011. Yeah, I was actually in that World Series around the stadium, Game Seven. It was one of the most fun moments of my life. Didn't get any sleep in the hotel. I was doing a college visit at St. Louis St. Louis University, hence why I'm repping a blue Stanley Cup shirt tonight. Um, but I just I, I I don't get it. I just don't. This is a team that has. Young, exciting, diverse, energetic players, and like you said, you're hiring the fucking morgue worker mm-hmm. in Tony La Russa, who right. has spoken out vehemently against some of the motives that some of these players he's going to manage stand for. And you can delve into that in a second, but it just it doesn't have baseball IQ anymore, at least not in the modern game in mind. It doesn't fit into the modern sabermetric ball that is being played right now. You just had a manager, Rick Renteria who is, I mean, you basically, if, to me, it feels like they hired Rick 2.0. Like, you get rid of the guy and then get somebody basically even worse. It's like it's like the Cowboys going for Matheny in the NFL, or not Matheny, McCarthy in the NFL. I just right. don't, I don't understand. It's obviously a big name. I mean, no question. When I saw that, that was definitely a headline grabber. I mean, Tony La Russa, you got to say he's up there with some of the best managers of all time. I mean, for his day, though. I mean, his time has come... And it's passed. I mean, this is not a guy who should be hired who should be hired to manage a modern baseball team. He probably doesn't know a ton about analytics when it comes to that sort of thing. And he, like you said, he has been in the past very outspoken when it comes to players um, discussing social justice, social injustices, um, kneeling, and uh, having fun in 
aka bat flipping and swinging when you're uh, behind the count three and now he was very outspoken about the Fernando Tati situation. Um, he has, I will say, in his opening press conference, he did a little. He said he learned. And he has gone back on his statements from 2016 that he made where he is now more in favor of players speaking out against social injustice or and doing it, he said, peacefully and with a purpose. So that I can understand. He has probably his best player on his team, Tim Anderson, uh, is one of the most outspoken players in baseball. and The most, except for yes. Texas, literally the most. Yes. So, I mean, to have that higher made and then to have a guy like Anderson on the other side, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of um, coercion with the organization to make this higher. It seems like this is a Jerry Reinsdorf sole decision. Exactly. And what's I think is particularly frustrating is, I mean, I saw the leaks. I listened to a podcast um, about three weeks ago and it was actually a brewer centric podcast. And they mentioned that this rumor was out there and I was like, what? No way. And they were expressing their frustration over it because as a brewers fan, if you were not affiliated with another, it's like me affiliated with the Indians who are also in division with the white Sox. It, it, it's really fun to watch the white Sox and do be, do what they do. They have a young, exciting team mm-hmm. talent from top to bottom we'll get into some of the awards they have guys listed for, but I mean, you, you have emerging stars left and right and, and, and everything we mentioned. And from the beginning, it was, there was no other name mentioned besides La Russa. And that name got out there and people, fans, not fans, people were like, what, what are they doing? Why? What, what yeah. do you feel? And there was no other, I mean, it, it, it looks like I especially what you alluded to having Reinsdorf's fingerprints all over it. Right. It looked like he was one sided and just said, this is my guy. I'm getting him. Tony LaRusso's next manager. And next thing we know, that's the case. Yeah. And you know, it seems like there was no um, collaboration with the general manager, Rick Hahn, who was the AL executive of the year. So obviously a guy who has made, all the move, all the right moves to put this organization in the position that they're at, and to be one of the in the best prime position um, moving forward, one of the best in the league. And it just seems like there was just no connection between what he would have wanted and what Reinsdorf wanted in hiring Larusa. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, the guy is seventy six years old. He is five years older than the next oldest manager. Uh, in Dusty Baker, a guy who was brought in to fix the reputation of the Astros, and now you bring in a guy like Larusa, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You'd think you'd want a manager who can grow, a young manager, or at least like younger, not um, not already retired for eight years. receiving benefits from Social Security. You know, <laughs> like you'd think there'd be somebody who could grow with the team, who could yeah. grow with these guys. A guy like a guy who really came to my mind was Alex Cora. Obviously, was involved with the whole uh, Astros cheating scandal. Um, but I mean, seemed like a guy who could come in very much, uh, relate to these players. Um, and you know, but it's, I mean, Larusa, he is bilingual, so that it's got to help him somewhere, but still he just doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's, it's fitting the, the, the square peg in the round hole. It doesn't seem to add up. Yeah. Well, and uh, you alluded to Cora. Clearly, the MLB as a whole, from executives to ownership, are not worried about 
either Hinch or Cora, considering oh, no. he got hired as the Tigers manager in an equally right. head-scratching move. It doesn't yeah. have as much of an impact because they are very young and still probably a year or two away, and he can get fired in that time. But the White Sox feel like they're now, and they feel like I feel like they would be looking more for a guy like you know in the Jace Tingler mold who sure. is ready to come and be like you know his job is to get the Padres to a ring. Right. And he's a young guy and he, he feel like he was brought in to be that clubhouse guy that can manage the personalities, but also get the best out of them. And it does not feel like LaRusse is that at all. It's just no. mind boggling and frustrating. I think is the, is the, is, and, and maybe the Sox fans agree or disagree, but um, I haven't seen many that, that disagree with that. Yeah. I've not seen many uh, happy campers with that decision. Um, let's move on to uh, the Brewers and the Cubs with their, just recent roster moves that have been made uh, with the options, uh, player options and team options that were eligible this last week. Uh, let's start with the Brewers. Uh, Evan, what kind of changes have they made? Yeah. Um, well, and thankfully we're not looking for managers like, like, like our brothers on the South side. Yes. Neither of us are looking for new managers. We both have pretty good ones. Um, but I, 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 it's, it's moves that were made. Most of them expected, um, and some of a little head scratching, but at the end of the day, the same, the motive is there. You've, uh, you've seen owners cry poor all season. We're losing so much profit. We're losing out on so much profit. We're losing money. And really they weren't losing any money. They just were not getting as much money as they could. Um, mm-hmm. TV viewership still was massively high. They still got all their TV contracts in. So yeah, they didn't get as much money as they would have made, but don't, don't, don't let them fool you. It's just a classic negotiating tactic um, where they strong arm you into believing that they're so poor, even though they're running multi-billion dollar operations. Right. Um, hopefully actually I will say on an unrelated note as a general baseball fan, hopefully this, this new Mets owner who just absolutely dwarfs every other owner in wealth um, that sale finally got approved and he is officially now the owner of the Mets. So hopefully that actually, I mean, maybe he'll spend and, and show these guys that like, Hey, you don't have to be, um, like you don't have to cut pennies. Like, I mean, the Dodgers spend and they get money like, and all these, I, I don't know. Hopefully it brings a new wave. Like it shows that there are people, people can be more aggressive. I know it's a unique year right now with salaries, but hopefully it brings good things to the league and not, and not just more giants, but it will see. Um, so they had four player options to act, to decide what they're going to do with. Um, and unsurprisingly, well, mostly unsurprisingly, except for one we'll get to, they declined all four. Um, Braun was a giant talking point all season, basically had to have a career year in order to justify bringing him back on his, I think it was $16 million salary or whatever it was. It was something very expensive, 15, I think. Um, And so they saved 11 million by cutting, by, by buying out his option. Um, And now they're probably going to work on negotiating, see where Braun's mindset is. If he either wants to come back and play again, um, it would be on a cheaper deal. He might just want to straight up retire at this point, which would be understandable. He's had a long and serviceable career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, I think both teams, I, well, I know the brewers on their side, especially if the NLDH gets put in, would love to have him back on an, on a cheaper deal. Um, it just, he's a marketable face as much as the rest of the league hates him. He, he is adored and revered here in Milwaukee. Um, and he, cause he's pr- delivered plenty of, uh, franchise defining moments for this, for this organization. Um, he's, and he's an exciting player when he hits and he loves to still hit. I don't think he has any interest in playing a fielding position. So I think if you see him, if, if the NLDH doesn't happen, you might see him go play another year in the AL. I mm-hmm. would not be 
super high on that. It's it's certainly possible. Um, but I just have a feeling he knows that Milwaukee is really the only place that will reach out to with open arms to him as a community. Um, other than that, he might just say, I'm done with baseball and, and call it quits. Uh, so we'll have to see it'll, that the, the, whether the DH will actually be a thing will be big in determining his future. Um, we also declined uh, Eric Sogard's uh, option. Not surprising. He did not produce this year. Um, he, we saved about four mil on him and that's plenty of, uh, I mean, you can find, you can find better uses of $4 million than on Eric Sogard. He just, uh, the glasses are awesome. We love their expect <laughs> not, not producing anymore. Not, I mean, you can, you can find that re- replacement elsewhere. Uh, the third one that, uh, is Gamble, Ben Gamble, uh, utility outfielder, uh, saved about 500 K by cutting him, uh, not really. I mean, it's kind of annoying, um, but it's not like the biggest of deals. He's again pretty, pretty league average. Um, but now we certainly need to look at a utility outfielder as a um, priority. It, it was enjoyable having his defensive prowess and having a backup center fielder like he could do. Um, he's not like an elite by any means, but he definitely could plug and play. Um, mm-hmm. but numbers have showed that they care more about getting. Um, like an average to above average production and can sacrifice the defense kind of thing. That's the, looks like their strategy. So with that, they said, bye-bye gamble. And then the final one, which I think is the most head scratching was uh, Jed Jerko. Um, saved three, three and a half mil by cutting him, but he was a very, very productive player for us this year. I think one of our only offensive producers actually. Um, and I mean, maybe they're looking to renegotiate for cheaper, knowing that the market is going to be dead and and some of these players will be searching for jobs. But I have to think that like the market will at least give some interest to him. Um, And knowing that that was secure, knowing that you could secure that he's corner and field, he can play both corners um, and he can, you know, at at best platoon him like, or at worst platoon him rather. I mean, I I don't think I'd want him as my everyday third baseman. And it looks like Vogelbach will get, um, plenty of play in, at first for us, but I, I, you know, I would just love to have that flexibility of him to, to move around the infield. He can play it decent and he produces offensively. So I, that was a real head scratcher, but at the end of the day, um, like I said, $18.5 million saved in payroll. We know none of that will be reinvested because the owners are all poor crybabies. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch in the off season. I have a feeling, I mean, you're, if you just look around the temperature of the league and we can get to the Cubs in a second here, uh, you saw, you saw the, the Sox too decline some options of some older guys. Um, the Sox, I think were a little bit more justified. They saved a fair amount of money by in, cutting in Carnacion and Gio Gonzalez. Um, but just, you know, players that are what you would assume is league average or slightly below league average are just getting, chopped aside and 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 uh, there probably won't be a lot of reinvestment because the owners aren't instructing the offices to go aggressive in free agency outside of maybe a few teams so i will have to see um but overall i mean you knew it was coming kind of and certainly not thrilled with jerko but there you go 18 and a half mil saved and four players off the roster so i guess we'll see where that gets us going into free agency here yeah i mean especially in this in this climate we're in with coronavirus and with like we said with the money uh lacking after no fans in the ballpark this year it's uh any money you can save is going to be uh big for for these organizations so let's move on to the cubs um they had three players who were uh eligible and they 
declined two and brought back one, that one being first baseman Anthony Rizzo, uh, as many people um, were expecting, brought him back, uh, picked up his $16.5 million option. Um, I mean, was he was always coming back. There was really no worry about that. And, you know, that's the kind of guy you you pay and you keep around and you you, you keep him on forever. Um, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Um, so I really hope they're working on an extension. Um, hopefully something a little more team friendly. Um, he seems to be a guy who loves this organization. He's the heart of the locker room. He has been since he came here in 2012. And, you know, he's the kind of guy you build your, 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 your team around, your organization around. He's a good guy. So, you know. Keep that guy and, you know, don't don't wait too long because eventually he might get pissed off and, you know, think, you know, someone else might pay me if if it turns into that, you know, waiting around. I, don't, I, really, I mean, I really don't see him being that kind of guy, but, you know, it's just like, I don't know. It just 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 get on with it. You know, you don't want to piss him off for sure, but I don't no. think that man has an ounce of hate in his heart. Uh, <laughs> I would. Uh, he's one of the most liked faces in MLB. I think he will be. Like you said, probably for a lot cheaper considering he's he's past his prime and he just <laughs> served, out, served out his big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I mean, yeah, you you're picking that option up and he'll be he'll be in pinstripes until he retires. Yes, exactly. And then we we did uh, let go of Daniel Descalso. Um, who cares? Uh, and we'll move on to uh, the other big name that we declined, which is uh, Big John Lester. Um, he had a $25 million option, you know, after a very down season. And, um, you know, he's in the twilight of his career. You know, you're not going to pick up that kind of option. Uh, so they paid the $10 million buyout. He has said that he is in conversations with Theo Epstein and the organization on coming back in some capacity. Um, hopefully he would get some kind of team friendly deal, but also at the same time, I feel like it's kind of time to move on from John, uh, sort of let him walk, let him maybe finish his career out somewhere else. Maybe he decides that it's time to hang it up. He's 30, he's uh, going on 37 years old going into next year. I think he's still got some, some, some left in the tank, but not for the Cubs. I think it's time to, to, you know, say goodbye. He has done everything that he could. He has, he came to the organization right before we were about to uh, turn the corner and he really helped us, you know, take that next step into championship contention and championship winning. Um, So he has done everything he could as a cub. And I really don't think there's any reason to bring him back and tarnish that legacy and, you know, watch him kind of fall apart in cubby blue. So I think that's a, that was a good decision by the, by the organization. And, um, Wish him all the best. You know, he actually spent this weekend paying for uh, Miller Lights as he, I think, raised about uh, paid out about forty thousand dollars worth of Miller Lights uh, on John, on John's tab and uh, places around the city, and that was pretty cool to see. A nice little farewell to the uh, Cubs fans and a little thank you uh, for uh, supporting him all those years. That's yeah. It was a class move by him. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a classy guy. He's always been he's fit right in with the city and with the fans and you know the lifestyle that these working class people live. So uh, he's been great for the team, but I think it's time to move on and uh, we need to get younger in the starting rotation and bringing back this you know the old lefty is not 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 the way to do it. You need to not spend twenty five million dollars on a guy who's not pretty. Yeah, on an aging yeah guy. He got his deal and he deserved it, but this is what you see at the end of these long contracts: is guys exactly. who paid way too much money for doing way too little because they're just they're they're done. They're cash. Right. 
So, right. you know, see if he'll come back on, you know, maybe three to five. He's not going to be, I don't imagine the Cubs are going to be going long-term on any deals here. They're just not no. worth it in, 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 in their, their, their plans. It's not worth it. Um, no. So, but, and I also wonder if the, uh, the, it's again, class move by Lester, but I wonder if that's a kind of a writing on the wall thing with him buying all those tabs that that kind of seems like it's a, one last farewell thing. So right, like a like a goodbye salute to everyone. Yeah. Thank don't you want to read city. too much in the tea leaves, but to me that <laughs> says that the that the um, negotiations have broke down and they're probably not going to end up agreeing on anything. In my mind, again. Yeah, which looks. I mean, I think that's the right decision. I think the, it's time for the Cubs to move on, and you know we have a lot bigger fish to fry, especially this season, this off season. Um, lots of players coming up um, in their last year of their contract, and. You know, our billionaire owner wants to sit around and pretend like we don't have any money. So you got to squeeze all the pennies out wherever you can. And not paying the 37-year-old $25 million is a good place to start. So uh, like you mentioned before, um, several Cubs, Brewers, and White Sox are up for uh, awards this offseason. Let's get into that. Uh, yeah, as we sit and record here, they are releasing the baseball writers nominees for the uh, the finalists for the all the all the major baseball awards. Um We'll just break them all down and give our predictions and talk about them. I, I, yeah. We like okay. baseball. We'll, we'll do it. Um, <clears throat> first, they announced the AL Cy Young finalists. Um, all these are three nominees. Uh, Hinjin Ryu from the Blue Jays, uh, Kenta Maeda from the Twins, and Shane Bieber from the Indians. Uh, I think people knew from midseason that Shane Bieber was going to be the obvious right in here. Um, he is just, I mean, blown. I blew it out of the water. A right. Incredible amount of strikeouts. Are you, are you pulling it up? Yeah, he had, uh, let's see his regular season numbers for this year, uh, 122 strikeouts and 77 innings. I mean, 1.63 ERA, um, 8-1. I mean, yeah, a, a career season, in, especially in a shortened year. And it's it's his – he'll run away with this one. I mean, he, he probably – honestly, I could see him being a unanimous selection. Yeah. Well, and he was he was undefeated for a, a bit, wasn't he? That yeah, loss, his only loss like was, start six or seven. I think his last, I think almost his last start was his uh, was his for only loss. Oh my gosh, uh, that was when the Indians left him on hundred plus pitches in a game where. Oh no, no, that was a different time. But either way, yeah, Sandy Alomar tried to screw him out of that, and probably, um, I think I would say we can get to it in a second. He, um, I would say probably lost his MVP chances when, when Sandy left him in on a game too long uh, and he gave up a home run late in a game when he really didn't need to be in. But uh, I digress. Um, so Shane Bieber there for sure. Yeah. This is an important one for Brewers fans. Uh, they then came out with the – there seems to be no particular order to this, but we're just going to read it in chronological order because that's more yeah. fun that way. Um, NL Jackie Robinson, Rookie of the Year finalists, were Alec Bohm for the Phillies, Jake Cronenworth for the Padres, and Devin Williams for the Brewers. In my mind, maybe a little biased. That's a, a easy win for uh, Devin Williams. I mean, just a lockdown career e- er, career season, even as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, just just incredible. Uh, and I don't think the Cronenworth con- 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 was solid for the Padres. I don't. I can't say I know much about Bone, but I don't think those contributions were as noteworthy as what uh, Devin Williams did out of the uh, Brewers bullpen. Basically showed it that we didn't need Josh Hader anymore and could trade him if we needed to gave us that all that flexibility. And he, I would, will he repeat that year after year? Probably not just like Shane Bieber. Um, Shane is an ace though. We know that. Uh, and Devin will do solid going forward. His, his numbers are there. He has the stuff to do it, but um, just, uh, you know, 
a shutdown performance deserve to give that award in my mind. Uh, if you do you disagree. Oh no, I'm 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 100 behind you. I mean, I, I would say Cronenworth definitely had his had his uh, his sparks throughout the year, but I mean, Devin Williams was all around probably the best player on the Brewers roster this year. So I would say that I would give it to him. Yeah, uh, he's certainly up there. Yeah, I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I'd give him team MVP for the year. Yeah. Um, uh, NL Manager of the Year finalists were Don Mattingly for the Marlins, Jace Tingler for the Padres, and David Ross for the Cubs. Uh, we'll pass it to you. Why don't you break Rossi. that down? I mean, I love that he's included in here. He definitely uh, exceeded expectations, um, especially because the Cubs were picked to finish uh, fourth in the division before the year um, across most of baseball and most of the experts. So, I mean, to have a division uh, championship in a shortened season like this and to bring the team together in his first season uh, with no prior coaching experience at all um, was huge and Rossi really stepped up and he was a great leader for the team and he re- he just didn't try to get cute that was my favorite thing about him he he put the best nine out there he um, you know he he made all the right calls and you know sometimes they don't you know the team doesn't produce for you but he did everything he could to put the Cubs in a position to win this year and really you know outkicked his coverage for most of the season. So really happy to see him on there. But I mean, I really think Jace Tingler has got to be the guy this year. That's why, that's who I would pick if I were to, if I had a vote. I agree, Uh, but I I think it's pretty, I think, um, well, they're all pretty solid shouts. Mattingly, a, that roster. True. True. Yeah. And knocked the Cubs out in the postseason. I don't think that's all Mattingly, but he's a proven manager. Bring that up. Yeah. Sorry. Not really, but we'll pretend I am. Um, yeah, I think they're all three very solid choices. Ross, I will I'll elaborate on him. I think he had, an, as you said, uh, especially solid start to his uh, Cubs tenure, and I have a feeling he will be tenuring as the manager for the next few years and probably through through the, the pits. Um, he just seems to be a guy who's got big clubhouse energy. He was certainly brought in because he's he's friends with a lot of the older guys in the locker room, considering he was on the 2016 roster that mm-hmm. won the World Series. Um, but you know that that's that certainly helped him. But he he didn't show anything in my mind just to make it seem like he is short short termed. I mean, no, no, I think he's definitely a long term answer for the Cubs, and that's exactly what you want to see. And yeah, absolutely, good stuff. So yeah, for sure. Uh, I think if I had to pick, I don't think I'd give it to Ross. Um, do- doesn't mean he's not deserving of the nomination. Um, I think I actually, have to, uh, I don't know about Tingler or Mattingly. They're both, they're both. I, I feel like I kind of have to give it to Mattingly though. That I mean, team- Matt- I will say Mattingly also, he really, I mean, the fact that he brought this team to the postseason with everything they went through with Corona and all the roster moves they had to make yeah. and, Everyone thinking this team was going to be historically bad. I mean, the fact that they made it as far as they did is unbelievable. And yeah, yeah I mean, honestly, I would not be surprised by any three of these guys. No, they, they get all, really yeah. open. I think it's a, a pretty wide open race. But I, if I had to vote, I would probably give it to Jace Tingler. But oh, at the same time, I, like I said, would not be surprised about any of those three winning this award. Yeah, fully agree. Fully agree. Um, mm. I think I think Mattingly, especially. The Mar- like you said, the Marlins, um, they've they've been hyped for a while as having prospects coming up the pipeline. Hasn't quite worked out, but um, he so people are kind of starting to write him off. Uh, they they're not nobody's writing him off anymore. 
Um, no. They are, at least for the moment, I would say, they're certainly going to contend in that division. The Braves are got it, got it front runners far and away, but depending on what the playoffs look like next season, I could easily see the Marlins fighting again for a wild card spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, then in the AL manager of the year finalists, this is the funny one. We were laughing when we were reading this pre-show uh, Kevin Cash of the Rays, Charlie Montoyo of the Blue Jays and Rick Renteria of the White Sox um, <laughs> fired Rick Renteria of the White Sox. The fired Rick Renteria. Um, um, I think there's no chance he wins that award. I, to me, it no. goes to Kevin Cash, he just, you know, raised yeah. the World Series. That's the obvious choice. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I think that just goes without saying. It's really not even worth discussing. Montoyo, I mean, he did a great job with a very young Blue Jays team leading them into the postseason. Um, but, I mean, Kevin Cash was – he he has turned a bargain roster into a World Series contender. And, I mean, yeah, outside of that – decision he made in game six but but <laughs> you know Blake Snell but beyond that <laughs> yeah I mean you know it, it happens it, we all have brain farts you know the computers aren't right all the time the same. Um, he, was, he was going period analytics and analytics lost yes um yeah but I think that's cashes easily yeah for sure uh AL rookie of the year we have Christian Javier from the Astros uh, Kyle Lewis from the Mariners and Luis Robert from the White Sox uh, all three of those had solid rookie seasons. It has to be said. Um, I think it's between for me. I think it's between Kyle Lewis and, and Robert. I I can't pick a winner out of those two. No, though. I mean I've I've definitely had a better chance of watching um, Luis Robert on a on a more regular schedule uh, this year. So I would say, I would lean towards him just based on that bias. But I mean I know that Kyle Lewis had a, a, a strong season for an otherwise pretty poor Mariners team. Um, so, I mean, I would, I would give my vote to, to uh, Luis, but that's just based on my Chicago bias and my ability to watch him on a more regular basis. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so then we got NL Cy Young. Uh, we got Jacob DeGrom of the Mets, you drivers of the Cubs and Trevor Bauer of the Reds. For me, Bauer just had a, lights out season Mm -hmm. um i think he takes that but darvish darvish he darvish turned his turned his career around him he i mean he had one of the best seasons in recent memory so he certainly deserves to be in that in that conversation but i still think it goes to bauer for me yeah i think it's bauer bauer has been the darling of the mlb this year um everyone loves him with his outspoken you know personality and his youtube channel and you know and then he backs it up with some of the best pitching we've seen in years so you know, I think that he – it's really his award to lose. Uh, I, I say you Darvish, you know, had an incredible season. I loved watching him every time he went out there. He, you know, kept the Cubs uh, in a lot of games this season, and he had a stretch where he was nearly unhittable for most of the year. Um, and he did everything he could to, you know, give them a win in the postseason. The offense couldn't help him out very much, but – you know, I, I really think it's Trevor Bauer and, um, you know, it's hard for me to say, but <laughs> I think it's his award to lose. I fully agree with you. Um, now the two big boys. Uh, let's start in the NL. Um, we got MVP finalists. None of our teams are directly in this, uh, but mm. it's between Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Manny Machado. Um, kind of interesting. It's Manny wow. over Tatis, I would say. Wow. Yeah, that's really surprising out of the Padres to have Manny Machado over uh, Fernando Tatis. I feel like Tatis was 
like I said, Bauer was MLB's darling. I mean, I think Tatis is Tatis like is everyone's awesome. favorite player right now. Yeah, well, and it's it's for its baseball writers are not fully about they're 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 about stats a lot of the time. But uh, to sure. me, to, and, I mean, and Machado had an electric season too. He was, I mean, yes. that lineup was death from top to bottom. So they were both mm-hmm. whacking home runs left and right. Um, but I, I I think I agree with you. I think I think I would prefer to see Tatis on there. But um, I think far and away it goes to Mookie Betts. Yeah. Um, he that roster was good or that roster was great already and he just took it from great to superstar i mean he had an incredible season offensive and defensive plays left and right uh he had a slow start i think i think the dodgers fans were frustrated that he wasn't hitting to start but i mean after about a week or two he was wrecking the entire league so i think in my mind that goes to bets i i i but i will also say that i'm disappointed not to see tatis on that list and see machado yeah I agree. I would I would vote Mookie Betts as well. I think he I mean, the fact that the Dodgers were able to steal him away from the Red Sox and then lock him up for the next decade um was probably the steal of the century. And the fact that he brought them their first World Series and is now their cornerstone of their franchise, um, along with the rest of that roster. Um yeah, I mean, he's the MVP, and I don't really think it's very close. Yeah, now they have the flexibility to not spend three guys. Now they have the flexibility to not spend the farm on Cody Bellinger and can decide yep. to him and Seager. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think with with signing Mookie, unfortunately, Bellinger does hit the free agent market once his time comes up. But um, regardless, the Dodgers are smart and rich. Um, they're honestly first, like I said, first World Series in thirty three years. Oh. I always end up getting a FaceTime call in the middle of our <laughs> of our of our recording. I'm just a popular guy. What can I say? Yeah, so many friends. Um, <laughs> first World Series in 33 years, uh, which is incredible. Uh, Kershaw finally got his ring. All the storylines. I mean, the Dodgers deserved it. They're the best team in baseball, far and away. Um, and they're they have a they. It's like it's like pairing the. Ray's front of, well literally is because it's the ex ex Ray's senior vice president of baseball ops uh running the show over there or vice president of baseball ops running the show over there I think it's Friedman Andrew Friedman isn't that who I think it is um yeah that sounds right uh and he it's it's mixing that with a multi multi million dollar payroll and one of the largest teams in baseball they one of the best prospect lines in the MLB right now uh, yeah they're able to 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 give up Mookie bet or give up prospects for what. Um, to get Mookie Betts for what's not it seems like very much because they they left their pipeline intact, but they gave away some very good players in that deal, and it paid off for them immediately. They signed him to a like lifetime deal, and he's now won world, two World Series and brought Ellie their first in thirty years and made them the king of the sports world this year. So, uh, yeah, it's Mookie for me far and away. I, there's no no shame in that one. Um, but let's switch over to the AL. This one we might end up debating. I um I definitely have personal biases playing here, um but or personal fandom biases playing in here. I will let okay. my, I will let my Indian side show. Okay. Um, so we have obviously everybody's uh everybody has talked about the White Sox and leading them was Jose Abreu, the dynamite first baseman who was hitting hitting all season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in there. DJ Lemayhew for the Yankees. And then for the Indians, um, Jose Ramirez. Uh, like I said, would have liked to see Bieber, as I mentioned earlier, but I don't think that's realistic with how this kind of season ended. A home run, a three-run homer in a late game is kind of the kind of thing that destroys an MVP bid when you only have 60 games to go off of. So 
Um, not surprising to see that Jose remained it over him, but at the same time, I think Jose is fully deserving of that award. I mean, I, I think the other Jose deserves this. I mean, I think Jose Abreu had his best season as a White Sox, which is saying a lot because he has been one of the most consistent players since he debuted in 2014. Um, 19 home runs, 60 RBIs, uh, career best, 317, 370, 617 slash, uh, led the White Sox to the playoffs for the first time in 12 years. Um, I mean, in a, in a shortened season, I mean, the guy had one of the best seasons, you know, in across the league, and I think that he – is more than deserving of taking home the MVP this season. Um, and he should be finally recognized for what he's done on the South side. You know, they, they haven't made it to the playoffs in any of the time that he's been there. He's continued to be one of the most consistent hitters top to bottom in the MLB. And this year he was finally able to show that on a bigger stage. And I mean, I think that he, is very deserving of the uh, of the MVP this season. I you can't go wrong with either of these two picks in my mind. I will side, like I said, I'll let my Cleveland bias show here for a second and side with Ramirez. Didn't have the hottest week or two of the start of the season, and I said I already mentioned that you know that could kill your kill your bid in a small sample size season. But you know, mm. finished with with finished with a triple slash of uh, two ninety two, three eighty six, six oh seven. OPS of 993 and an OPS plus of 166. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was the same for Abreu, 166 OPS plus. Or sorry, 163 for Ramirez. I apologize. I I read the not wrong number. Um, you were correct. I was dreaming the right number. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's splitting hairs at that point. Um, yeah. And so is this home run 17. He does have full, only 46 RBIs to Jose's 60, so that's a little bit different. Um, but that also is more to alluding to the guys getting on base in front of him, which the Indians didn't have any of those, but even I would say besides Francisco, but he's guilty too. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're both just phenomenal. I mean, putting up 2.2 for Jose Ramirez and 2.8 war for Jose Abreu in, in a season and it's of 60 games. That's a incredible stat line for both of them. And they're both probably deserving. Um, but clearly we're going to be split here. You're going to go Abreu right. and Ramirez and whoever wins is the smarter person. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Abreu led the league in hits, led the league in RBIs, slugging total bases. I mean, it's played it, all, played it's all comparing star set to star set. It's really, there's, you can't yeah. go wrong. And sorry, DJ Mayhew, it's not going to be you. Get out of here. Yeah. You can fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. So I fuck mean, Yankees forever. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, you're really splitting hairs between those two, but I think either way, you can't go wrong with one of the Jose's. Hey, at the end of the day, a Jose is going to win, so we're all Jose happy. will win the MVP this year. I'm yeah, I say I'm going to Vegas right now and saying I'm putting my money on Jose. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! All right, well, uh, now that we're through with the baseball talk, huh? yeah, now that we're through with the baseball talk, let's get into a, a little more serious topic, and that is the state of our NFL teams, um, starting with the Chicago Bears who broke my heart once again this week. Uh, <laughs> no uh, less serious, but a lot more dire. Let's put Yes, it a, a hard-fought game against the New Orleans Saints uh, in Chicago this weekend, and the Bears uh, fall 26-23 in overtime. Uh, a last-second field goal by Will Lutz uh, broke my heart in two, and the Bears fall to 5-3 and three now on a uh, two-game slide heading into Nashville next week. 
and I am on life support. Um, <laughs> the Bears are playing as poorly as I could have imagined, and um, I love to see the fight yesterday. Um, they were down by ten, came back, put the game uh, put the game into overtime. I like to see that, but I so mean, which fight are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, we'll get to Javon Wims and his idiotic um, behavior, but uh, I did love to see the fight from the Bears. Uh, on both sides of the ball um, in that second half when they were down 10, they didn't, they could have easily rolled over and uh, died and allowed the saints to just run away with the game, but they didn't. Uh, The bears red zone defense continues to excel this season, holding the saints to uh, field goals several times when they should have been easily scoring. Um, But this was a game the Bears should have won. I mean, they really, they, they were dominating that first half. Uh, They were ahead by 10, um, really looking good, really moving the ball well. Uh, Nick Foles hit Darnell Mooney on a deep ball and then followed it up with a, a perfect over-the-shoulder diving catch by uh, Allen Robinson for a touchdown. Um, you know, the defense was playing well. Drew Brees can't throw the ball more than 10 yards. Um, I mean, the Bears were doing everything, and they were looking like playing their best half of the season until the final two minutes of the first half. Uh, when they let the Saints march down the field and get right back into it. And after that, it was just not easy to watch. I mean, you were watching it. What did you see from the Bears, um, you know, in that in that uh, national game of the week, as uh, Fox loves to say? I would have rather be watching the Seahawks and Niners, let me just put it that way. And that's not as a Russell Wilson, Wisconsin fanboy. <clears throat> Um, I, I will just tell you, and we can delve more into the numbers if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. but this is, this had to be a, a doubt and a, a sneaking suspicion in the back of bear's mind since week one. Um, there has been no pretty dominant win this season. It's been comebacks by the skinnier teeth and overthrowing a ball or just barely slipping a ball past triple coverage to lumbering Jimmy Graham when Nick Foles was getting his magic week two against Atlanta, who has lost every game in the most heartbreaking fashion imaginable this year. Mm-hmm. Nothing inspiring from, from this team. No. Um, defense has flashes and is very promising. Um, but I, I, Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky aren't going to get it done. And no. even if Nick Foles has won a Super Bowl MVP, it's not pretty out there. No, he, it's, it's horrible. It's really, it, he has not had a good game since he's been the starter. I mean, honestly, like we can just say that flat out. He's had four four straight starts and four straight mediocre to bad games. I mean, to, yesterday he has moments. Like I will say, he has moments. He the deep ball to I mean that what I just mentioned the deep ball to Darnell Mooney the fifty yard pass was a beautiful throw. Definitely underthrew him a little bit. Probably a better quarterback leads that ball ahead and Darnell Mooney walks into the end zone. But to even set it up in that in that manner and then to you know, to find Allen Robinson on that, on that pass, you know, that was a flash of, of the good Nick Foles. Everything else was bad and we can't, and I can't sit here and keep continue to blame Matt Nagy because, you know, it's not all on Matt Nagy, you know, Nick <laughs> weren't, needs- you, weren't you just siding with Foles last week and blaming Nagy? Yeah. I mean, but you know, this is what happens. I'm a week by week kind of guy, you know, guys and, fully and been obviously open. Matt Nagy is not making, you know, good decisions you know i was listening to a podcast earlier and they said you know uh it's the Redline radio podcast from barstool sports and one of the guys said uh matt nagy is from the andy reed coaching tree 
And the only thing he got from Andy Reid is his clock management. Uh, <laughs> he he doesn't know how to manage a game. He continues to do the same thing over and over again. Our offensive line is being held together by a piece of gum and you know some old tape. But we continue to drop Nick Foles back five step drop, seven step drop, and and you know think that things are going to change. But when he doesn't have any time to throw. Dropping him back is just going to put us in bad situations. And then he can't use his feet to make plays. You saw it in overtime. Uh, it was tie game, uh, third down and and five. Bears have a chance to get a first down, keep marching on the field, and give Cairo Santos a chance to win the game. Um, the the coverage the you know the the pass coverage held up for the Bears to uh, give Foles time. But th- when the Saints are covering everyone tightly, he has no throws to make. He had an open lane. He could have ran the five yards and gotten the first down, but Nick Foles is not that guy. You know, he's not going to make that play with his feet. And if he does, it's going to turn into something bad. So, you know, but at the same time, you know, I, I I found myself thinking, would we be better with with Mitch Trubisky in this situation? And the answer is no. I mean, the answer is no. He's not making that throw to Darnell Mooney. He's not making the throw in the, in overtime to to Allen Robinson to keep the game alive. He's not making those throws to put us in positions to win. And Nick Foles, he can make those throws, you know, three times out of seven. But, I mean, that's not going to keep you in games and that's not going to win you games. And that's going to put you in this situation where you're five and three and you're looking at down the barrel at three straight games against Tennessee, Minnesota, and the Packers at probably the worst possible time for the Bears. Yeah, it's it's not pretty. I mean, the Bears the Bears don't have an answer, or if they do, it's not currently on the roster. No. Um, and and honestly, at this point, we will have to see what you know the temperature is on the Niners come come Thursday, and we'll get to that game in a second. Um, but to me, right now, the NFC playoff picture, the Saints just got a massive tiebreaker over you because they're they're not winning mm. a division; they are they are competing for a wild card spot. The Bucks are winning that division. Yeah. Um. And you know, you either have to hope that you best the Packers in a in a two game series, which is entirely possible because we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um. But or you have to hope that you can beat out one of the one of the four NFC East NFC West teams. Right. Because beyond that, um, there is no shot of this team making the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at a team that was sitting pretty five and one. Um, you know, winning ugly, but now it's like, what are we doing? We're losing. Saying the keyword there is ugly. There's nothing ugly. from the get go. You had wins, but they weren't. Yeah, we we still have not put together a full game. We had a good a good first first half uh, outside of the final two minutes. After that, it was pretty brutal until the la- until the fourth quarter when they decided to turn it on for a bit and get the game tied. Um, it's a real problem when Cairo Santos, our kicker, is our best player our most consistent guy. I mean, this is my first time in years where I haven't even had to, th- to think twice when the kicker comes out on the field. It's <laughs> it's nice in that in that regard, but also I really don't want to be, you know, relying on our kicker to be our most consistent guy. I mean, and, you know, we, we saw some flashes from our boy David Montgomery this week, you know, 21 carries, 89 yards, but he just does not have the lanes that he needs. The offensive line is a mess. And he has no opportunity to put 
you know, those he, we saw one big run from him, a 35-yard run that he had. Um, something I, I I can't remember the the last time I saw a Bears running back break out for that kind of run. I stood up and got excited for that. Play. Yes, I never get excited for Bears plays. I was getting and, and and I have mentioned far and away that I have prospect hype and love for for David Montgomery. But right. That that was probably the one of the most exciting plays I've ever watched from him. Besides mm-hmm. preseason running last year, like yo, know, he had one or two games where he was like, oh wow, this kid's got something. Yeah. And that was like the most excited I've ever gotten my entire career of watching David Montgomery. And or rather in his entire career, and it was only a 35 yard run that didn't even result in anything. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just there's no there's no scheme changes. There's no. It's. I mean, it's the same thing I said after the the Rams game. There's no uh, dumping the ball off for a screen. There's no. Uh, you know, it's just drop. You know, drop fold back five steps and you know, see what happens. But I mean. It's it's really hard to watch, and I'm not excited for for this Sunday. It's a must win game, you know, in Nashville against a team that is that is sputtering um, in in the Titans and yeah, have lost Nashville. Yeah, but I mean, they I mean they they've shown that they're not as invincible as they looked to begin the year. Um, I sat today, um, so they they have they paid Clowney and they paid. Um, Jannard Avery, um, mm-hmm. a combined like $24 million this year and have gotten to, to upgrade their pass rush and have gotten zero sacks out of either mm-hmm. of them. Well, I mean, do they get one this Sunday? <laughs> I would not be surprised, especially with the bears. Now, now without, I mean, Bobby Massey went out, uh, another, another starting offensive lineman went down with a knee injury. Um, and then our backup, Jason Spriggs, also got hurt. He left the game. So we are down to our third string guy now in Alex Bars. Um, Cody Whitehair missed this game, uh, the first time he's missed a game in his career. I mean, it's just it, – it's a dire situation for the Bears, and they are in must-win territory. And, you know, sitting at 5-3, and three, it's not a bad place to be sitting, but – when you're looking at how they've played and how the offensive, how the offense has played, um, you know, our defense can only do so much and we cannot rely on them to, to make plays for us and, you know, create turnovers because, you know, they've shown that they haven't been able to do that recently. So, you know, our offense needs something new. We need to spark, you know, I don't know what that is. Hopefully Matt Nagy can, can make some adjustments and, you know, we can watch some film from what the Bengals did well against against the Titans and hopefully build off that and, you know, try and salvage this and get us back on the on the on track before we go into division play because I mean it's not gonna be easy. We saw how Minnesota played on Sunday and how well Dalvin Cook played. We'll get into that more, but I mean, that's not a winnable game. That's not going to be like an, an automatic win despite their record. I mean, that is a good that is a good football team. And, and the, the Packers, Packers of course, prove wrong on on Sunday, right? And the Packers, of course, you know it's it's Aaron Rodgers against the Bears. It doesn't matter his record; he he's going to come out and he's going to play well against the Bears. We need and, another healthy wide receiver in order for that to happen. First off, yes. Well, we'll get to that, but you know, <laughs> it, it this is the time where the Bears need to make a statement on Sunday. I'm hoping that they can come out and take advantage of a team that is you know, trending downward in Tennessee. But, you know, when you're also trending downward, 
it's not it's not the most exciting uh, most exciting time. So you know they're coming out as as touchdown uh, underdogs again. Yet again, the Bears are underdogs. They've been an, I think they've been an underdog in every game this season. <laughs> um, but you know I like them to cover plus six and a half. I like them to cover. I don't know about a win, but I do like a cover. So the Bears are good at one thing, and that's keeping a game close. Yes, they and, can't and win it. Keeping my hope, keeping my hopes alive, and then crushing me slowly with with a with a painful ending. So last dying seconds. Oh, also, can we get back to we, we mentioned it a little bit, but Javon Wims um, is a fucking idiot and deserves to be cut off the team. He was suspended two games by the Bears. Oh yes. Uh, or by the by the NFL, excuse me. Um, so he, you know, uh, for those who didn't watch, uh, you know, he he gave the old two piece to um, uh, Saints cornerback uh, Gardner Johnson, um, the the classic punch the guy in the face who's wearing the helmet. Um, the ultimate IQ IQ test for an NFL player. Right, and it's just, I mean, that was just an absolutely idiotic moment. I understand the idea of sticking up for your teammate. You know, uh, he had been sticking his hand in the face of Anthony Miller earlier and all that, but doing, but like, I understand, like, there's one thing is sticking up for your teammate, and there's another being a, a jackass and costing your team precious yards when you are already sputtering on your offense. If anybody wants to know how the Bears players feel about that, go watch the John Boy video breakdown of that that whole routine. He, I don't think he was sticking up for anyone. I think he got pissed from earlier in the game when his mouth guard was ripped out of his face. Anything well, anything he's saying in post game, the spitting and the sticking up for anything, I'm not buying it. He lost his cool, and he, and nobody nobody on that Bears team supported him. I, as soon as he like that whole thing got broken up and they got they cleared those two players apart, he was all you go you go watch the video. He was all jazzed up, jumping around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I freaking won! I got him because yeah, he, that was because he was so juiced up after punching a guy twice. And one of his own offensive linemen and also Montgomery were screaming at him like, "You absolute idiot! Get off the field! You're yeah. so fucking dumb!" Mm-hmm. And, and that just tells you all you need to know. I clearly they see some talent potential in him because if if it was anybody else. He would have gotten cut for that. Like, I mean, I've seen, I've seen players get cut the same day that aren't aren't um, aren't more than league replacement level. I, I can right. go back to a moment of the Browns last year losing to losing in Denver, and a guy that they just promoted from the practice squad getting cut immediately after the game because he was in the locker room tweeting out death threats to fan, um, which is a whole other debacle. Um, and that's not punching another player in the face. That's a different level, right? Um, right. But if if the guy is important or viewed as important in some regard, he won't be cut no matter what he does. They clearly determined that that action wasn't bad enough to cut him yet. Maybe they do in the next couple of days, but just boneheaded from top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely unnecessary. And um, yeah, I mean, he he cost the Bears about as many yards as he's had receiving this season. So that really is all you need to know about uh, Javon Wims. So let's. Um, Let's hope, the Bears can, let's hope the Bears can bounce back on Sunday in Nashville. Um, I mean, it's must win. That's really all I can say is it, they have to win or else we are really going to go into a tailspin um, and you're going to see my true emotions. <laughs> <laughs> what we started this podcast for is the, the raw emotions in the depths of November when our team yes. failing and not making the playoffs. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Exactly. Did you have any um, uh, <laughs> final thoughts on the Bears defense or Packers sleeper agent Taysom Hill? <laughs> oh, the Bears defense. You know, 
obviously there are the the biggest phase, you know the best phase on the team they continue to keep the bears in games when they should be you know completely falling apart um Lots of soft coverage, though, this week. Um, lots of playing off the receiver, allowing them to make the play and make the catch and give about five yards of cushion before they make any sort of, you know, move towards them. Um, I mean, Taysom Hill had a receiving touchdown, so that's really all you need to say. In that <laughs> Second year in a row where the Bears have allowed a receiving touchdown to Taysom Hill, which is just inexcusable. Um, Packer sleeper agent Taysom Hill. Yeah. Um, also happened on the Jared Cook touchdown to cut the lead to 13 to 10. That was bad. That was I mean, really both bad. really bad. Both um, Jalen Johnson really not playing as he has all season. He's been one of the best shutdown guys this year um, statistically. And just, yeah, poor, poor effort on both of those. But the Bears, I mean, Roquan Smith has continued to look about as good as advertised, about as good as we could have imagined. Um, he made some huge tackles for loss, and he was in – Kamara's face one of the only guys who was able to catch him um as Kamara just toasted the Bears for uh, almost 200 yards of total offense um join the club he toasted us too yeah I mean the guy's he's a beast I'm so happy he's on my fantasy team but not happy happy when I when we play against him um and Drew Brees uh obviously one of the best quarterbacks of all time but I cannot stand watching him play um he is the Bears should have absolutely crushed him this week Way too many times where the Bears had him, they could have had him wrapped up, and they're instead going to swipe at the ball um, instead of taking him to the ground and sacking him. So that really uh, frustrated me. I know the Bears are ball hawks. Uh, Their defense is like that, has always been like that, and that seems to be Khalil Mack's move is swiping at the ball, which does work you know, a fair amount for him. But, I mean, we need to be you know, taking those sacks where we can and not not just focusing on – on taking the ball away. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Bears defense is, it is what it is. It's, it's one of the best units in the league. It's the best, uh, best part of our team, but, um, several bone headed plays by them and head scratchers that really just left me with a bad taste in my mouth. But I mean, I will never, I won't complain about this, this defense until they really do something that, you know, costs us a game. Yeah. They haven't done that yet. So what do you want to see against the Titans this week? What do you need to see in order to get a victory? And what is your prediction for the Titans game? All right. So uh, I want to see some uh, scheme changes for the Bears. I would like – okay, honestly, they brought out Mitch Trubisky for one play, a little – Oh, yeah, a little Jalen gadget play, huh? A little like – it was like our own personal Taysom Hill out there. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't hate to see that. Maybe throw throw a little – little razzle dazzle out there you know i mean sort of just switch things up quit dropping pulls back five steps seven steps i mean that's mitch trubisky's probably best part of his game is his is his Release. mobility mm-hmm. and his ability to escape escape pressure and move and run throwing on the run so you know why not switch things up i mean obviously what we're doing is not working obviously our Foles, offense we do we agree Foles is not the answer no no def and definitely not and I thought he was uh, the answer to to right now and what we needed for now, but it's clearly not, and he's not getting any better. And, you know, he's only been worse and worse as time has gone on. So he's, you know, we can't continue to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. That is the definition of insanity. So why not make some changes? Why not have some scheme changes, some 
throw the ball to David Montgomery out of the backfield, you know, get Darnell Mooney involved on some jet sweeps, you know, uh, get Trubisky involved in the offense. Don't just have him sit there pouting all game. I mean, you know, get him involved. You still have a year left on him. Go see if he can do something. That's my thing. I don't think they ever should. I've been saying this. I think I said this in the first episode when they right. You did say this in the first. I don't think they should ever switch from him. It should have been a prove it year. What do we have in you? But Nagy is so desperate to save his job that. Oh yeah, I mean it was definitely a a quick draw for that matter too. Yes, and they were they were trying to save their job, and it obviously worked to start, and they they (laughs) saw the results of the comeback. But since then, it has not worked at all, and it's been pretty much. You know the same thing that you would see with Trubisky, you know, for the most part. So I'm I'm hoping to see some offensive scheme changes, and you know, I need to see the offensive line step up, protect, give give David Montgomery those running lanes, you know, allow him to make plays, give uh, Nick Foles time to step up in the pocket, make plays to Allen Robinson. Make plays to Darnell Mooney. Make plays to Anthony Miller, who definitely stepped up this week, and I really like to see him do that. Um, get Cole Komet involved. Miller. He's a great receiver. Get Cole Komet involved. Throw less to Jimmy Graham unless it's in the red zone. And Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> hey, I've never been the one to say that Jimmy Graham deserves to get the ball in the middle of the field. but Wait, dude, flashback to last week. Jimmy Graham was being misused in Green Bay, and what did I say? He's a red zone target at best. He's always been a red zone target. I mean, he's got face closed. You heard yeah. here first, everyone. Yeah, I mean that—that's for sure, no question. I mean, the guy towers over every DB in the league. So, I mean, throw the ball his one-on-one in the in the red zone. Give him the ball. But Cole Komet needs to get more involved. I mean, it's just, and our defense needs to make plays. Needs to get some takeaways, and uh, you know. Give the Bears the field position that they need. That we saw in Carolina, we saw it against Carolina. You know, uh, we saw it against Tampa Bay. You know, the Bear, the Bear, when the Bears defense can hold the hold um, the offense to less than twenty points and has ample time to rest and is not being put out there every third, fourth play because the offense is sputtering. We have the opportunity to win, and I think that this is a perfect opportunity to have one of those ugly grinded out wins against a team that is sliding in the wrong direction in Tennessee. And the, I mean, it's going to be a big proof of game against one of the best running backs in the league in Derrick Henry, you know, and our, our middle of our defensive line is, you know, not does not have the big boys that they really need, but, you know, we need to make, we need to, you know, Get that front seven going and just make sure that he isn't he isn't the one that's beating us. And um yeah, I mean my prediction, uh, you know I'm gonna say uh Bears grind out an ugly one and win uh sixteen thirteen uh behind uh three field goals from Cairo Santos and a defensive touchdown. There you that's go. My, that's my uh that's my prediction and I'm sticking to it. The one thing you'll get from us in this podcast is blinding homerism, so I don't expect anything less from you to, to pick. I don't think I've picked against the Bears in any of our predictions, so I will I will continue to not do so until the Cows. And I fully support it. I will <laughs> tell you, I'm trying to um, uh, trying to look it up right now. Um, I think the only way you let that team succeed, that team being the Titans, is off of turnover differential. They are plus eight on the year. Um, okay. That is second in the league, and that's an astounding number. Um, yeah. But if you go to the ESPN FPI index, 
on defense, they are bottom five in the league. So um, it's a, it's on a negative to positive scale. So negative numbers do count. The league leader right now is far and away the Tampa Buc- Tampa Bay Buccaneers at a six point one. Um, and the bottom of the league is the Jacksonville Jaguars at 4.5 with the Texans just a little bit ahead of them at 4.4, negative 4.4. That is, mm-hmm. um, the Tennessee Titans are bottom five, they're 3.0. So they suck on defense, but the only thing they do is generate turnovers. If you protect the ball and don't let them put the ball in J in, in Derek Henry's hands, which they'll do regardless. But if you don't give them that, that advantage where they can just run it down your throat because they're in the lead because that generated points off turnovers, you win, you beat them. They are not, in my mind, a tough team. They are a good offense. That is yes. it. They are a good offense. That is it. And the only the offense is only good, not only good, but they are especially good when they are in the lead because they just take Derrick Henry and shove him down your throat yes. until he ends up in the end zone. Right. So that is, I mean, that's the key to the, that game is, is stop the, don't turn over the ball and stop Derrick Henry. Stop Derrick Henry is is you're not gonna he's gonna score on you regardless, but don't let him have a career day on you. That's yes. that's the way to say it. So I I think the Bears can win this game. It's on the road, um, but they have to they have to take care of the ball. That's that's goal a number one for me is do mm. not turn over that ball whatever you do because they are very good at creating those, but that's all they got. They know they don't do sacks. They give up tons of rushing yards. Um, they just can create turnovers, and if you don't if you don't let them have them. Have the ball, you you have a shot. So there you go. We're well, hoping that we can uh, we can win that turnover battle and uh, come out with a victory and be sitting at six and three going into Sunday night against the uh, the Minnesota Vikings, who uh, we can get into now as they had a uh, a big win on Sunday in Lambeau against your Green Bay Packers. Big hear your thoughts. I think the biggest thing um, to start it off is as the age old adage, any given Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They, yes, they are a one in five team or one or two in five team. I think at this point, but they have played some very tough teams to start and they are still a very, very good team. Um, Let's see. I'll run you through the schedule here. We beat them opening weekend, 43 to 34 at home. That's a, that's, you know, understandable. They then lost to the Colts. The Titans, we just talked about the Titans by one point. The they beat the Texans. They lost the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football again by one point, and then they lost the Falcons. The Falcons lost is a little questionable, but they were off that um, post firing our coach surge on that game. And yes, the Vikings were off without Dalvin Cook for that one, so uh, not a huge head scratcher there. Um, but they came out and they they ran the ball down the Packers' throats. Um, and then D- Derrick Henry or Derrick Henry, he looked like Derrick Henry. He looked like Dalvin cook out there. Dalvin cook ran for four touchdowns, all four of Minnesota's touchdowns. Um, and the Packers had no answer. Um, and I think what we've seen time and time again is you get a physical team that's willing to run the ball and the Packers can't do anything. Uh, we have no, we are a defense that's built to, shut the pass, shut down the pass and pressure the quarterback, which, which we did. Um, you know, cousins didn't have a day. Uh, he, and, and the receivers were mostly shut down. Thielen and Jefferson had about four catches each, which is not a whole lot. And we talked last week about Jair's success in the passing game. I, 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 I predicted that it'd be a little bit better going this week, but it wasn't great. I mean, they didn't score. Dalvin cook just did it all on the ground. Um, and it just runs back to that this team 
isn't going anywhere without uh, a competent run stuff from the middle of the field or, or a middle linebacker. Uh, the rookies have looked nice. Kamal Martin looked okay. He had some good plays, but he also had some bad plays. Um, and, and asking a rookie to come to this team in a three, four style when we sat base the entire game, because we had to, to try and stop the run is just, I mean, that's not a recipe for success. Um, and we have Christian Kirksey coming back from injury, which is nice. I guess I'm not a giant fan of him. He can't really stay healthy to save his life. That's, I mean, that's the answer. Uh, it's, it's, Right now, because as we saw in the trade market today, Quan Alexander went off the Saints for a fifth rounder in Kiko Alonso. Um, Goot, what are you doing? Would have been nice. Yeah, I mean, that's something the Packers should be able to to do easily. It should be all over that. And those yeah. are the deals that I am just sitting here and I'm at, I'm at wit's end. And I, I will be, I will tell you from top to bottom, I am a Packers draft defender, Packers defender all around. Um, as most I've talked to other fans and they've sat there and said, you know, you know, I have DK Metcalf would have been nice. Patrick Queen would have been nice. Any of the rookie wide receivers would have been nice. At this point, the wide receiver battle is kind of lost on me because we've seen players step up a little bit and we've seen tight ends step up. It's, we can get that production elsewhere. They're just not healthy at the moment. I would have loved the depth, but I, we can't sit here and lament over not getting DK Metcalf. Um, and a wide yeah, receiver is the best on that. I mean, that's not, you can't, you'd have nine, 10 teams looking back and being like, we could, have, of course you could have had him. Right. Exactly. Literally 32 teams are, so 30, 31 teams are sitting there scratching their heads. That they didn't peck the guy because he's a beast. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, wide receiver is not going to fix anything on this offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we want to outscore everyone 50 to 48 every game? Because our defense isn't stopping anybody anytime soon. Um, especially if you come up against a physical run game. I just, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what to what what to what more to ask for at this point. Um I'll shout out the good defensive performance. Like I said, the corners did well. Um and we had some decent when the pass was a threat, we had some decent plays. We didn't really let Kirk Cousins do a ton on us, but he also didn't need to because Dalvin Cook did just did it all. Yeah. Four touchdowns. Four touchdowns. That's that's the beginning, middle, and end of the story of the game. Um 22 points in a windy game isn't a bad put out. And the, and the offense did okay with, with everything being said, but when the defense does that, there's just no excuse. And then this, this in the post game was, was, was really, really telling uh, Rogers and Lafleur have both been like, not really like obvious in their criticism, but they've definitely been airing their criticism in the post game interviews. Uh, let me just read you this. This is from Matt Lafleur post game. We knew we had to stop the run. That didn't happen. We knew we had to play penalty free. That didn't happen. And when you do that, you're going to get beat. He then followed that up with, we better get it fixed and we better get it fixed fast because I know it's going to happen next week. We've played the Niners twice in Matt, in Matt LaFleur's, te- LaFleur's tenure. And what is the story of both of, both of those games? A 37 to eight or 37 to something trouncing on, on Sunday night football last year in the Bay area. Then we walked back out there in the postseason with the same theory and expected, mm-hmm. to, and expected to get different results, as you said, insanity. And yep. we did a little better, 37-20, but you lost <laughs> the FC Conference game and and you didn't go to the Super Bowl. And as somebody who's sitting here as an Aaron Rodgers backer, and, and you know, we've we've been blessed with Favre to Rodgers back to back. And what do we have right. to show for it? Two Super Bowls. Brady has six and two quarterbacks in, in 
Green Bay have two. Like it's just it's it's kind of inexcusable at this point. Thursday night is a new battle. I mean, it's it's it is the Niners again out in the Bay Area. Been there twice. Um, they are banged up to all hell at this point. They have lost Kittle. They've lost Garoppolo. They've lost their entire defense pretty much. Raheem Mostert is on the IR. Mostert's on the IR. Coleman's coming back kind of. They have, I mean, Jamichael Hasty is the best running back, but he's still doing bits out there. Yeah. Debo Samuel is still recovering. He's back, but he's still recovering. It's Brandon Ayuk and, and 10 other guys pretty much. Yeah. Um. So, and, and the recipe for success is – Stop them. Stop the run. Yeah. I don't know what you're going to do that different from this week because this week didn't work. And now granted, Jamichael Hasty is not as good as Dalvin Cook. And I understand Dalvin Cook is a top five back in this league. But if you let a guy run run for four touchdowns in a game, run and pass. He took a screenplay to the house too. Um, it's just, I mean, there's just nothing to say it anymore. There, there's no way you can call call that a legitimate contending uh, you know, game. That's just, that's the thick and thin of it. Right. Um, I will also say, and, and I'm not one to cry ref ball, but very, very, very questionable play calls. Uh, there was a, the reason Dalvin Cook had one of his four touchdowns was it was a one yard punch. And after two incredibly questionable pass interference calls, uh, th- particularly the one in the end zone, uh, yeah. Adam Thielen was grabbing onto, I think it was Jair longer than Jair was grabbing. They were both grabbing, but Adam Thielen had his hand on his on the collarbone of Jair, or where I think it was Jair, and and as he was doing that, the flag was being thrown, and it got called DPI. That put the ball on the one. They punch it in. Um, that's 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 only one touchdown off the board, and at that point, Dalvin Cook still got three more. So um, there's really just. It's, but I mean, that's the difference in the game. I mean, you, you lose by is, six. That's is, the difference but, right but, there. And, but that's not that, that's the difference, and it's frustrating. But that's not the excuse. Yeah, yes. 22 points with that touchdown gets wiped off the board would have won the game. But the fact that it even came down to we're yelling at ref ball, um, it's just not. Exactly. And, and there was, again, yeah. questionable holds across the board. I think there was three or four times where I saw that team get into third and 20-something or fourth and 20-something, which is just inexcusable. But the holds were soft. Everybody holds in the game. It's it's part of the game. Um, the refs were calling uh, what many would agree was very questionable holding calls. So mm-hmm. uh, just – Annoying from top to bottom. Yeah, and the non—I mean, the the non-call on the Bobby Tanyan. Uh, oh my god! Oh. was probably as as a as a Bears fan, I was watching that and I was just absolutely appalled that they picked that up. I mean, it's that was just so bad, completely, completely nonsensical by the referees to do that in that situation. I mean, if you're going to call it on both, like at least call it on both sides. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's that happens. And you 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 can't be relying on the refs to win you a game. Right. So, so again, this is just me venting as a fan. That's of not course. Packers have more problems than the refs calling that bad game. And in, in, in all their other games, those have benefited or been called properly for the Packers. But it just goes back to you know what you've seen so far. The two losses we've had, um, the Bucks physical defense that 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 answered and was able to frustrate Rodgers, um, and then yesterday the the Vikings who were able to run the ball down our throats. Um, and then I will, I won't, it wasn't a loss, but Alvin Kamara ran train on the Packers in that Sunday night game. Yeah. The Packers just have no answer. They don't tackle an open field. I understand these guys are game breakers, but you can't let them do what you can't, you have 
But there's ways to control them. And I mean, and and watching the game on Sunday, the Packers were giving Dalvin Cook, I mean, just wide open lanes. He wasn't even having to really make moves. He wasn't even having to get even that kind of blocking, just wide open spaces for him. Well, I don't yeah. I don't know the I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I know how to call defense, but the fact that even a man coverage look, I understand it in theory, but the fact that Preston Williams is out on the edge against a tight end <laughs> in coverage is just yeah, mind boggling. Also, at the same play, I I, I posted it to Twitter on on uh, War on ninety four Evan. Um, it was a screenshot from Reddit, but it there was it was Preston out wide on the on the boundary covering a tight end, which he did not do well all day. And it was too high safety. You couldn't even see the second safety because he was 15 yards off the line of scrimmage and out of the screenshot. And what do the Vikings do that play? They run the ball. They ran the ball all game. Out the box, make Kirk throw the ball. Yeah. You literally let them walk all over you. I just Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the most mistake-prone quarterbacks in the NFL, and they allow him to just hand the ball off to his, you know, stud running back and really just crush you all day. Yeah. So it's it's really just frustrating, and I think honestly, um, you've like I said, I, I read the quote from Lafleur already. I think this game Thursday night tells you a lot about the future of Mike Patton in this organization. He has been called out multiple times, very subtly, but called out. Everybody knows who Lafleur is talking about, mm-hmm. and, and they have shown for the past two seasons they cannot stop the run. They. <laughs> They have shown, I mean, they can't do it. And we have matchups against the Titans and the Niners, who are both very efficient run units. And I would even put the Colts, Bears, and Panthers in that in that conversation. And those are five of the, what, set, six, seven matchups to finish the season. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, if those teams can run the ball, I mean, you're looking at a seven-loss team right there. Because at this point, I have no faith that we can do it. Yeah. So, we were talking about this team being – you know, 14 and two a couple weeks ago. And now we're looking at them and we're wondering if their defense is going to be able to hold them together for the rest of the season. Two or three losses is still entirely in the realm of possibility because some of those defenses aren't as stout as, but even the Vikings aren't that stout and you won't see 40 mile an hour gusting winds. Like we saw yesterday in Lambeau and Rogers, we can get to that in a second. He, he looked great. Even with the wind, there was a couple questionable throws or, or, or throws that maybe didn't have the outcome you were expecting on them um that that kind of hurt him but it just it yeah it it opens up a lot of questions the range of outcomes is 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 far and wide right now with not many games left to go in the, i mean we're what the halfway point of the season pretty much yeah um yeah, we're uh, going into week nine next week yeah so you have and packers have been on the buy already so they could not quite at the halfway point theoretically but they're close five and two is the record right now so you have mm-hmm. you have nine games left and i those games they could go nine and zero, and they can go, they could go three and three and six. Six, math is hard. They can go three and six. Like I honestly don't know what to expect. Um, I don't think this team currently, as it stands, is a contender. Uh, so please, Goot, if you're listening, you're not. But please do something. <laughs> like it's just and, and the wide receiver, I guess, would help. I mean, if you have, if you have. Devonte fuller lazard out there i that's at least a little bit more inspiring than what we have out there right now but get us defense please 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 mm-hmm. an interior defensive tackle that can stuff the run or a middle linebacker that can do the same like i just i the right now we're only geared to win when we're ahead and can blitz rush the passer because we know they're gonna throw that's pretty much it um 
Lazard yeah, back- might be healthy for Thursday. That that's a benefit. Those are two big offensive weapons that we get back. Um, offensively, I, 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 I'll give credit where credit's due. Jamal and AJ Dillon both had a good game. Uh, Jace is showing better every week, and uh, uh, Tunyon is doing well. He there was a there was one deep ball that I, I think is actually more on Rogers than it is on on Tunyon. Uh, he could have let him out a little better, and it would have been a walk in touchdown, like you mentioned with Mooney. Um, but th- I mean, the wind was howling. It's 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 kind of hard to do well in that, those conditions. So. Defense is the issue, and it's the biggest question mark, and it leaves me with with almost no confidence going going forward because I I look at other teams like I said the NFC West I, the the Niners the the Seahawks don't have defense the Rams certainly do um, we don't play them thankfully but we might see them postseason uh, Bucks they already know we already know they can beat us oh yeah and I, yeah it's it's not great I don't feel super high this is in my mind as we stand we are not a Super Bowl contending team and that's kind of that's kind of the, the the frustration that fuels my Monday here as I sit and refresh, hoping to see some trade come through. But yeah. Um, so, okay. Looking forward to Thursday. What are we feeling for this game? A big game Thursday night football in San Francisco, trying to get that bounce back after a couple bad showings there. What are your thoughts? What's your prediction? It's sad that the whole team's banged up, and I don't even know what to tell you. Um, first of all, we have to do. We have to also mention that COVID has put this game in risk. Unfortunately, AJ Dillon tested positive this morning. They shut down the facility and had virtual meetings. Uh, I think I saw that Jamal Williams and Kamal Martin, which are two kind of important players right now, even if even if Kamal is a rookie, um, are have been labeled as direct contacts to him. They have not determined whether they are high risk direct contacts. So that puts their status for the game in doubt, which is Oof. very, very big. You're looking, I mean, I think I think Jones is close to ready. I did not see where he was listed on the on the practice report today, but I have a feeling that that he's was being he will be 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 active for this game. Uh basically the reports have been he's been borderline, but the Packers medical staff has played a precautionary all season with anybody who's been injured, as mm-hmm. we mentioned. Um, so, I mean, if, if Aaron is out, I, uh, Aaron Jones, that is, if he's out, I don't know. Um, I'm going to, again, blind homerism here. The line has the Packers favored two and a half right now. I feel like with the injuries that, that we can, we can, we can do two and a half. So I have us winning 28, 25 on an over under 51. Um, that's pretty chalk, but I, I think that'll hold, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the cold, windy of Lambeau. We do have issues going out west, and so I, I will not say that I'm confident in that scoreline. That is just how my prediction that I'm putting on paper to say that I think the Packers can win, and we need to win. We need to bounce back and show that we can beat a team again because after starting 4-0, we are now 1-2 and and have lost pretty much all confidence. So I, yeah, we, a win is necessary uh, yeah, to show true. that we're still, you know, half game lead in the, in the division. Um, the bears are stumbling uh, and the lions and Vikings, although good teams don't look to be competing for the division. So we have to show out on Thursday, uh, eradicate the 49ers demons that have haunted us for the past year and a half and show that we can win. Yes. The team has 20 people on the injured report, but 
I don't care. I want to yeah, win. I mean, a win's a win, you know, especially going on the road, especially in a short week. You know, I want to win in the Bay Area to eradicate that demon from what's right. clearly haunt. I, I had just like it's haunting the team entirely, and it, it just mm. I need it gone. I need it gone. I need to win. Yeah. So a couple must win games this week for both our NFL teams, and uh, yeah, Evan, uh, it's been a pretty long one. Uh, you got anything else to add before we uh, wrap this thing up? One more plea to Gutekust to trade for a linebacker, interior run-stuffing defensive lineman. Please! Let's hope he hears you by tomorrow. Um, we'll try to get this one edited as quickly as possible so we can so we can get a <laughs> get, get it to him here, and uh, <laughs> you know he can make that he can make that little boy's dream in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, come true. And, and um, but otherwise, you know, we got through a lot of stuff today. A lot of baseball talk, a lot of football talk, a couple must-win games, like I said, for our football teams coming up this Sunday. Well, except, excuse me, this Thursday and Sunday, yep. and um, yeah, but otherwise. Um, I think this is as good a time as ever to wrap this thing up and uh, tell you guys to follow us on social media. Those will be in our uh, in the info. Uh, That's when the old Francis to the one. We're mm-hmm. on ninety four underscore Evan and we're on ninety four underscore Pod. Right? Yes, sir. I don't think there's an underscore in the in the podcast. Oh, we're on ninety four Pod. Wow. I it'll all that. be yeah. It'll all be in the info. Um, but otherwise, for Evan, uh, I am Frank. The audio cut at the end there, but for Frank and Evan. This was the War on 94 podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.